This morning, I've asked Eric to read for me, read the scripture lesson for me. Uh, This happens to be the longest narrative in Genesis. And part of that is because um, Abraham's servant repeats to Laban when he gets to to Laban, repeats to him what the narrator has already said. So we're not going to read all 67 verses. We've selected a few. Um, So you'll see Eric will read through verse 4, and then it'll skip to verse 34, where Abraham's servant uh, explains to Rebekah's brother Laban what has already transpired. So um, that explains that. Um, Eric's reading to help save my voice. I'm sorry, I'm not 100% with a sinus infection or something. That's also why I'm kind of being standoffish this morning. I want to make sure... Uh, I don't know what I, what's going on. Um, and then when we're all done here, I'm going to go home and go to bed. So, but um, uh, before Eric reads, um, I wanted to say, as someone has said, and I, I haven't found it in the Lord of the Rings series, but apparently somewhere in there, Samwise Gamgee made the comment that um, it's, it's one thing for us to read about great adventure stories as we're sitting comfortably in front of a fire. It's another thing for those who are actually living in the adventure story. And that's so true as we read these stories in the Old Testament, the true, true adventures. Um, and it's easy for us as we're sitting in our um, maybe not comfortable seats uh, on a Sunday morning uh, and we hear these, and it is easy for us to read them and, and hear them, and we, we see the big picture of what God is doing in these stories. Um, but it's another thing to think about these folks who lived in these stories. They, um, they only lived with what they knew of God at the time. Um, but then I, as, as Eric reads, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about... Um, we see what God is doing in the big picture, and that's something Eric and I have been trying to pull out of these uh, sermons. Um, but they're living in the middle of it. What is it like to live by faith in the middle of what God is doing in the big picture? Uh, and then think about what, as, as Eric said last week, I believe it was, um, Moses wrote Genesis to people who are living Exodus. So the people who first heard this story of uh, Rebecca um, were people who were about to enter into the promised land. They were being called by God to go into Canaan after having been gone for 500 years or whatever it was. So um, what think? Why, why would they need to hear um, this story and the details of what it looks like to live by faith in the lives of Abraham and his servant and Rebecca? okay? So hear the word of the Lord as Eric reads it for us. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. 
that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who shall say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing that has come from the Lord, we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beir Lai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. 
Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eric. Father, um, would you help us by your spirit um, to understand um, what you're saying in this part of Abraham's story and Isaac's story and Rebecca's story, the servant story, um, and help us to have a little more of a sense of what it means for ours um, as a church and as your people today. And do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So it'll be a great relief to many of our young young folks here to know that this is not the biblical way to find a wife, okay? This is not meant to be how you're, although the parents are like, well, sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, let's hire a, a service that will go and, and, and find a wife or a spouse for our young ones um, I'm kind of excited because my son Micah is getting married in August, and this sort of has happened. He he has found a wife from my home from my home place, Charlotte, North Carolina, and so you know it worked for us. I'm just kidding. Um, so no, this is not what this is not the purpose uh, of this story. It, it's not to that kind of detail that we want to. Uh, learn from the lives of these folks. Um, but here's, because I, I want to try to conserve uh, my voice, um, I just want to try to get straight to the point here of what um, I learned from this passage this week and, and kind of state to you what the, the basic premise is here and then show it to you uh, in the story and then try to help us see what, so what? What, is it, what does it mean for us today? So here's the basic premise that I'm stating it this way. For those who like to take notes, you, I'll say it a couple of times. Here it is. Trust the God who works out his promises through his providence, semicolon. Trust the God who works out his promises through his providence, semicolon. And then the second half answers the question, how do, how do we trust him? What does that look like? While you do the next right thing he puts in front of you. While you do the next right thing he puts in front of you. So here, here's the whole statement. Trust the God who works out his promises through his providence, semicolon, while you do the next right thing he puts in front of you. So where do we see this? Um, we have to start with God keeping his promises, that he is the God who is working out his promises through uh, his providence, as we'll see in the lives of these folks. Um, verse 1 of the chapter starts with, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And immediately we think, oh, 
yes, this is connected back to the promise that God, the promises God made to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 1, when he called him out of Earl of Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. Let me remind you what he said, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And here's the promises. Um, Some count them various ways, but um, I count six. And he, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that, that's three, four, so that you will be a blessing. And five, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And six, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Moses says in verse 1 of chapter 24, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, it's kind of a summary statement. God is keeping his promises to Abraham. And we've seen that um, chapter after chapter after chapter. And all of those promises are based on the promise in Genesis 3.15 that we saw at the very beginning when God told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there was a promise that one would come who is the offspring of the woman and who, whom though he is wounded, he will crush the head of the serpent. And so now God is revealing more of his plan to do this in his promises to Abraham. He's showing how more specifically he will bring that serpent-crushing offspring through the offspring of Abraham and Sarah. So essentially, if I could sum it up this way, God is saying um, in in these promises all the way back to Genesis 3.15 through Abraham and Sarah, God is saying, I will build my people, and the offspring and the power of the serpent will not prevail against them. Okay? So, these folks in this story, Abraham, his servant, Rebecca, and even Isaac, although we won't talk much about him, they are being called, and they are doing this, to trust the God who works out his promises through his providence. And they're going to do that while they do the next right thing that's in front of them. So let's, let's look at this. Let's look at each of them for a few minutes. Abraham. Abraham trusted in and acted on God's co- covenant promises that he had made. What is this strange thing that Abraham Uh, did with his servant to make him promise, make an oath that he was going to do what he asked him to do. He said, put your hand under my thigh. Now that's weird, isn't it? But you know what? I discovered, I had never seen this before, but one commentator pointed out that honestly, and I'll say it as unawkwardly as I possibly can, this was a, a kind of a reminder of the sign of circumcision that God had given Abraham to say, you will remember that I've made my covenant with you by placing this sign on yourselves and all of your sons. Well, 
frankly, putting your hand under the thigh would be a great reminder of the covenant promise God has made with his people. And perhaps, this commentator says, that's why they did it that way. So what, what the showing is that Abraham is about to give these instructions to his servant in confidence and trusting in the promises that God had made him, particularly in the sign of the covenant that he had given him. So Abraham was connecting his servant's journey with the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. You're about to go on a journey that will continue uh, to work out the promises of God through the providence of God. So Abraham's confidence that God would do what he said he would do led him to do these things with the servant. He sent him to seek a wife for Isaac outside of Canaan. And that's significant. He does not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. Why? Noah had said, cursed be Canaan. The line of Canaan was not in the line of the offspring of the woman through whom the promised serpent crusher would come. And so Abraham, trusting in that promise, knowing that Canaan's family line was not the family line of the seed of the woman, said, no, we're not going to choose a wife for my son because this doesn't fit the promise and the plan of God. We're going to go back to my kinsfolk. Secondly, Abraham's confidence that God would do what he said led him to also keep Isaac in the promised land. Why is that important? Because Isaac's presence in the promised land was a declaration of dependence on God's promise that the land belonged to his descendant. Isaac was to trust that promise too and to continue to live in line with it. So, don't go back home to Ur of the Chaldees. Stay in the promised land, that, in Canaan, which is the land that was promised to us. So Abraham is continuing these actions he's taking. The next right thing that he's doing that's in front of him are all based on his confidence in the promises of God and, and shaped by those promises. And then finally, he instructs his servant to he says to his servant, oh, you need to trust God's leading in this mission. He says, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. By the way, that little phrase, prosper your way, comes up again and again in this chapter. And it basically means um, the, a way is a path that you'll get to the end of your path. He says, just the Lord before whom I have walked my path will send his angel with you to prosper you in your path. So trust him. Trust that the Lord is in this and he will do this in his providence. And so that's a picture of how Abraham, Abraham is continuing to trust and act on the promise God made him that through Isaac there would be multitude of descendants, one of whom would crush the serpent's head. And he sees, well, Isaac, one commentator says, Isaac's probably about 40 years old at this point. Um, and Abraham says, well, 
God has promised this. We have to get this man a wife. And so he acts on that. Abraham's servant also trusts in the, proven, in the promises and providence of God as he does what's been put in front, front of him. And this is interesting. And with all of these, I invite you, because I'm not going to be able to highlight everything here. Take this chapter home this afternoon and read through it and look for these things. Look for all the different ways that these people trusted this God who works out his promises through his providence. And look for all the different ways. We're not going to highlight them all. All the different ways that they trusted him and did what he put in front of them. Here's, here's a little bit about Abraham's servant. This guy is fascinating. He saw his work as partnership with God. He saw his work, his job. He's a servant. He saw it as a partnership with God. He was doing his work while he was trusting this God who keeps his promises. And, and how do we know that he saw it this way? Because he prays. Did you notice that? He prayed and asked God to give him uh, success in his journey, in his quest, in his assignment. Um, John Calvin said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is the chief activity of faith. It's the chief way that we depend on and trust God. We talk to him about whatever's going on, and, and that's what this uh, servant is doing. Look at verses 12 to 14. Now, Eric didn't read these, but this is part of the story. Verse 12, and the servant said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. You see him, he's calling on the promise of God to show steadfast love to Abraham. He's depending on God's promises. Um, Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say. And so he's involving uh, the Lord and involving in himself in the Lord's work here. And then uh, verses 26 and 27. <laughs> <coughs> After he discovered Rebecca and, and everything happened as he had prayed and it was clear that she's the one, this was his response. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. So at the end of that day's work, when he had accomplished what he felt like the Lord had, him, had for him that day, he bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way, in the path, to the house of my master's kinsman. So you can see this servant believed that he was in partnership with the God who keeps his promises through his providence. And then let's look briefly at Rebecca. Um, wow. What a woman, right? Um, listen, look at a few things about her. 
Rebecca obviously comes from a family that worships and trusts Yahweh. So throughout all this chapter, uh, when it talks about the Lord, remember it's in all caps, and we know that in our translation, when, it's, when the Lord is in all caps, that's referring to Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And so these folks also know him. And we know this because um, in verse 50 and 51, it says, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So this family, Rebekah's family, is a family that knows and worships Yahweh. And we assume that she does too. And she shows this in, in the way that she lives her life. Look, here's, here's Rebekah doing the next right thing uh, in the way she served. In verse 19, she says, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Rebekah was not just serving because, as the story says, as the narrator says, this is what the women did in the evening. They came and drew water. Rebecca went above and beyond uh, her regular duty. For her to say, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking, she was committing herself to quite a bit of work. How do we know that? Someone has said, they've uh, researched these things, camels, after they've traveled for a day, have been known to drink as many as 20 gallons of water. Now, Abraham's servant took 10 camels with him. If they all drank 20 gallons of water that evening, that afternoon, that would be 200 gallons of water. Let's just say that Rebecca's jar that she carried of water was a gallon. Okay, that's 200 gallons, 200 trips. Let's say that it was 10 gallons. She's a strong woman, right? That's 20 trips down to this well, which was usually down steps to draw the water out, bring it back up, and carry it and pour it in the trough for the camels. And it says in the text that she ran to do this. Rebecca was doing the next right thing that had been put in place in front of her. She served, and she served well. She served um, beyond the call of duty. And in the process of um, trusting Yahweh and serving um, as one of his own, Rebecca discovered the providence of God in her life. She discovered a new calling, in the middle of her ordinary, everyday service, God opened up a new chapter in her life. Verse 58, and they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. Um, that word go is the same word that the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your land, from your country, from your kinsmen, to the land that I will show you. 
several commentators pointed this out over and over again of how much Rebecca in this story sounds like, looks like Abraham. Pretty interesting. Particularly because God has called her to put her past and her future in his hands and walk by faith in his promises and providence to a land that he would show her. So that's just a, a little look into how these folks live their everyday lives, um, trusting, you know, live their everyday little stories, trusting that God, in, in keeping his promises, was writing a larger story that they knew would lead one day to the offspring of the woman coming to crush the serpent's head. So what? So so why does this have anything to do with us? Um, none of you have camels. Um, I doubt many of you carry jars of water around on your shoulder. Um, none of you have servants. Uh, it's just, what is all this? What does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with Mountain Fellowship? What does this have to do with you tomorrow when you go to work, to school, uh, home? Here's my thought. If Abraham and Isaac um, and the servant and Rebecca could trust the promises and providence of God, that he would bring the promised offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head through the offspring of Abraham, if they could trust that God would do that, then we have even more reason to trust the promises and providence of God. Why? Because on this side of the cross and on this side of the empty tomb, we see how God did what he promised them he would do. They couldn't see it. We see it. We know who the offspring of the woman is. He's the offspring of Abraham. He's Jesus, God's only son whom he loves, the lamb God would provide on the mountain to take away the sins of the world. And we know that, as Paul said, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. We have even more reason to trust in the God who works out his promises through his providence. We have even more reason because of that to do the next right thing he's called us to do that he's put in front of us. God had promised Abraham, I will build a people through you and the offspring and power of the serpent will not prevail against And now Jesus has made us this promise when he said to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love how the Puritan John Flavel took courage from this promise of Jesus that he would build his church. Um, And he said this, I put it in the bulletin, Flavel, Flavel said this, Oh, be not too quick to bury the church before she's dead. Stay till Christ has tried his skill before you give it up. Friends, we need to take courage from what Jesus has promised. Uh, We as a church need to take courage from what Jesus has promised, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we should not give up on his church until we've let him do what he is skilled to do. 
um, a missionary named Leslie Newbegin said, said this. He said, it's sometimes annoying when people ask me whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the church. He said, the only reply I have is, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. It's not whether one is an optimist or a pessimist, but, what, but rather whether or not one believes the one who rose from the dead. Mountain Fellowship, let's keep trusting the promise of our risen Jesus. Let's keep trusting the promise of the risen Lord Jesus who bled for the church, who rose again for the church. His promise that he will build his church And while he promises that, we keep doing the next right thing he set in front of us. And one of those right things that he has set in front of us is to do what Jesus told his disciples to do just before he ascended to the Father in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You hear the promise in that? The promise Jesus gives to his church is, I have the power and you will have my presence. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So friends, That promise is true for Mountain Fellowship. Jesus has all the power. Not Jimmy, not the elders, not any of the hundreds of folks who have served in this church in the last 12 years. Jesus has all the power. He has all the authority. And the promise that we have Jesus' presence. He will be with us. And so we must continue to make disciples. And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. And that's what we're going to do. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. So that's, that's how I see this encouraging us as a church to keep doing what God has put in front of us. But then what about what about you as an individual follower of Jesus? What about tomorrow? Well, there's so many promises, but I just want to bring up two, and I, I hope this will encourage you as it's encouraged me. Two of the promises that you have as an individual follower of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I took us to John 17 and was trying to show us this is what Jesus is praying for us all the time, and one of those things uh, Jesus said was, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And remember I said, what is Jesus doing with this authority he has over all flesh, with all this power and dominion that he has? He's giving eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. Jesus is using all of his authority to give you eternal life. And then he goes on to describe, well, what is eternal life? That sounds very uh, ethereal, pie in the sky. This is eternal life, he said, 
to his Father, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, he's promised and he's praying that the Father will give you the eternal life of knowing the only true God. And so how will you anticipate that tomorrow? Will you, will you and I, and I'm, listen, I'm talking to myself too. Will you and I see everything that happens tomorrow as somehow part of the Father's plan and promise for us to know him and Jesus in a richer, deeper, wider way? Friends, I'm talking to you as one, you know, this is what this passage teaches us this week. (laughs) But I needed to hear it as much as anybody else. I needed to hear it when I got up this morning and I didn't feel good at all. (laughs) That God has promised that whatever whatever happens, whether I'm sick and feeling great or uh, whether I'm sick or feeling great, um, he's going to use this so that I'll know him more. And my job is to do what he said in front of me independence on his power. How about you tomorrow? How will you participate in that promise? Will you pray for it like the servant prayed? Will you ask God tomorrow to keep this promise that he would cause you to know the only true God in a deeper and wider way? Will you look for how he's going to do it and then thank him after he does it? So much to learn from Abraham's servant in that. The second promise is this. From Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And then he says this, Have, the, which you read that and you go, Whew, okay. But then he tells you how to do it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, In Christ Jesus, you already have a mind to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and to, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, to look not only to your own interests but to theirs. You already have a mind to do that, he's saying, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then God highly exalted him. So the promise is that you have that mind, that servant mind of Christ. It's yours. You have his mindset of servant, of service to consider others better than yourselves and to look not only to your own interests, but to theirs. You have the mind of Christ to do the next right thing by serving those he puts in front of you. And then two verses later, Paul says this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So friends, the promise is that the one who is the servant, who came to be served, 
uh, who came not to be served, but to serve. He lives in you, and you have his mind, and you have his power to will and to work that kind of service in the places he puts you tomorrow. Trust that that promise, and trust uh, that he will work through you by his providence as you do the next right thing he's put in front of you. Jesus is alive, and he's alive in you. Thanks be to God. Father, that was helpful to me. <laughs> because you, you know, you know that I need to, I remem- to remember what you've promised and that you're working out those promises providentially in my everyday, mundane, ordinary life. Empowering me by your spirit, by the spirit of Jesus who lives in me, to do the next right thing you put in my path. As Abraham said, to walk before you. Would you help us as a congregation and as followers of Jesus 